When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And it's time to wrap up the first half of the college football season here on the best college football pick and pod in the land. We're coming to you from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton, and I'm Thomas Black. And Alan, as you come on in here and as we discuss the first half of the college football season, we also have to designate that you, sir, are a fan that I would say has to be categorized as, I don't know, the most heavily fined fan base in the nation for littering. <laughs> What is going on, my man? How are you doing? And what was Saturday night like with Tennessee and Ole Miss? It was deafening. It was infuriating. It was glorious. It was um, it was all the things that you would ever hope uh, a college football game to be. So I was so glad to be in Neyland on Saturday night and uh, and then on Sunday morning as well. <laughs> <laughs> Delays, everything you could ask for. The people have to know. How much trash did you throw on the field? I was personally responsible for throwing exactly zero items of trash <laughs> onto the field. Though my wife and I, we got a little bit of a uh, little bit of beer thrown on us. Oh no! Uh, yeah, so just not a, not a ton, but just a few sprinkles enough that we we could smell it on us as we exited the stadium. Um, I honestly did not know how that was going to go after the game. And uh, Lauren, my wife, is a is an Ole Miss fan. Right. And so I had an extra jacket, and I made her put on the UT jacket. <laughs> I, honest to God, I didn't know how that was going to go. Everybody was super cool. Like, there were a bunch of Ole Miss fans. Nobody was saying anything to them. Clearly, the vitriol was towards Lane and towards the officials. Um but man, oh man, I, I've never seen anything like it. Very interesting. And then I think probably from my perspective, just a guess, but I, I can understand the sentiment and the worry, the concern you have for your bride, you know, walking around the streets of Knoxville, worried about Tennessee fans and how they're going to treat her. Uh, but good to know that uh, most of the angst and anger was toward Lane Kiffin and the, you know, the team. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 I was I was really pleased with that as a Tennessee fan after Everybody just showing their butts. Now, I will say it was it was really only the student section that was doing it. <laughs> uh, regardless, it was a 7.30 kick, and they had had plenty of time to, to get uh, live-wired. 
throughout the day. And, uh, and it was just, it was raucous. It, it, everything, like I said, everything you want college football to a college football environment to be like. Oh man. I'm, I'm sure it was a raucous environment to be there. Uh, I saw it on TV. It was loud. It was crazy. And I guess the final question I have for you, man, is I hate that it went down the way it did, but we've talked about it here on the podcast a couple of times this season when Hendon Hooker goes down with that injury and Joe Milton comes back in, what are your thoughts on what might be uh, with that quarterback situation? I, I honestly haven't even seen an update on what happened to Hooker, so I don't know what his status is going forward, but uh, I know that your heart had to have been kind of ripped out of your chest as you watch Joe Milton step out of bounds with no time left on the clock. Oh, my God. How <laughs> incompetent is he? I mean, give me a break. Like, he's so disengaged at this point, it feels like. Um, Hooker... Hypo has said that he's supposed to be day to day. Now he's been pretty tight lipped on what that actually means, but I don't think that it's proven to be like a season ending type injury, like a torn ACL or something like that. So um, if, if I were Hypo, which I'm not, because my bank account attests to that, I would not play hooker this weekend and throw Milton to the wolves that the Alabamian wolves <laughs> let the crimson tide roll over him and then play hooker after the break. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to make some sense. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but Alan, if you're ready for it, I think that's enough discussion for the uh, volunteers and the rebels. It sure was a fascinating experience. I know it had to be firsthand for you, but if you're ready for it, let's dive into a rapid recap here on the pick and rewind. Yeah, man, I'll say it. All right, this past week in the Pick'em Contest, Allen wrapped up the week with a strong 38-point week, going 7-3 and three in his picks. The wins were Georgia at a 10, Cincinnati at a 9, Pittsburgh at a 6, Iowa State at a 5, Baylor at a 4, Utah at a 3, and Oklahoma State at a 1. The losses were Iowa at an 8, Florida at a 7, and Boston College at a 2. Allen, that took you the 38 points from a tie for 21st to a tie for 15th. Moving up the leaderboard, you've got 252 points, and you're 18 points off the lead. A slight improvement off of last week when you were 21 points back. So to me, I'd imagine you're feeling pretty good about yourself coming off of week seven. Yep, moving in the right direction. Uh, left some points out there for the, um, for the taking. Um, but I, I, as in, I had up until that morning, I had uh, NC State beating Boston College, mm. and my my gut was telling me to to see you know I could see that upset, and so I flipped it, and then obviously I regret it as BC just laid an egg and NC State whooped it. Very understandable. I myself left a lot of points out there. I went with thirty four points on the week, not terrible, but I just went six and four in my picks. The wins were Cincinnati at a nine, Georgia at an eight, Pittsburgh at a seven. NC State at a five, Iowa State at a three, and Baylor at a two. The losses, oh man, Allen, Florida at a 10, Iowa at a six, Arizona State at a four, and Texas at a one. I went from sixth place by myself to a tie for sixth place, basically the exact same. I am at 259 points on the board throughout the season, and I'm 11 points back of the lead. Last week, I was 10 points back, so slightly in a worse position there. But overall, I'm about the same spot. And Alan, man, I felt okay with the weekend. Just that Florida game just killed me. And we'll talk about it here shortly, but 
I cannot believe it turned out the way it did. And uh, even coming off of it, no more Ed Orgeron, even off a win over a top 25 ranked Florida team. Yeah. I mean, just that game was bonkers. I mean, you've got Emory Jones finding a way to, to throw way too many interceptions, including a pick six and Richardson coming in and being the hero that they needed. But that defense just could not stop anybody. I, I imagine there may be some moves made at the end of the year with Todd Grantham. And, and then Ed O, like you said, he, he sounds a lot like me right now, but he's uh, $17 million richer than I am, and he's going to be able to coach out the year. Kudos to him um, for, for getting that win when I certainly didn't expect it. I thought they'd quit after last week. You know, I, we sat on this podcast and said that Kentucky just rolled over them and, and they just played so bad and quit. And so I thought it was their season was over last week and they come home and win one for the Gipper. What can I say? I was right there with you. Well, it, yeah. uh, it hurts, but uh, <laughs> because of it, you and I are both in the positions we are. We're chasing down a new leader in the standings. That is Jesse, who we've talked about a couple times here recently on the podcast. He is at the top of the group with 270 points. He's gone 44 and 26 in his picks, and he is leading the pack for a performance package 4.0 from Manscaped and a $100 Visa gift card. So, Alan, the competition is fierce. We've got one half of the season in the books. We've got one half of the season to go ahead of us. It's going to be interesting to see how it all falls out. Oh, yeah. Now that we we kind of turned the page, we know who these teams are. Though week to week, they still do some some crazy stuff, some unexpected things. But uh, this is where the, the getting gets real good. Alan, because of the game that we talked about most extensively through the rapid recap in our Pick'em Rewind, let's go ahead and start it off with Florida dropping a game to LSU 49-42. Just all kinds of crazy. You already mentioned things with Emory Jones throwing picks, Anthony Richardson coming in off the bench and looking like the absolute freak that he's displayed in you know a small sample size throughout the season so far. It just wasn't enough because the defense couldn't come up with any stops. But man, I had this one at a 10. I just voicing kind of some of the things you did. Kentucky ran for 330 yards against LSU. And I looked at the Kentucky-Florida game earlier this season thinking, man, Florida's just a better version of what Kentucky is. They're a better running team than Kentucky is. And they've had a better track of success so far this year in what they've done offensively. So I thought, man, I'm just going to kind of take a shot because I don't think there's any chance this LSU team's going to show up. More and more injuries piling up. More and more guys saying they're done for the season. And I thought it was a safe bet just to take a shot on Florida at a 10, hoping that, you know, if there was any type of chaos, it was maybe going to happen in another matchup somewhere. But man, this one bit me bad. Uh, anytime you lose your 10, that's a tough week. You know, it, there's no way around it. Yeah, I would love to go an entire season without losing a 10. I think I've probably done that before, but man, it, when it happens in this fashion, when really, like I said, there wasn't a ton of reason to put Florida up other than I just thought LSU was done. You and I were on the same page and they were missing a bunch of starters on the defensive side of the ball, but Florida wasn't able to take advantage of that until Anthony Richardson came in. And uh, it was surprising to see. And as Anthony Richardson took, you know, his time on the field, it certainly felt to me like they had a shot to come back and win this thing, but the defense just never got the stops. Yep, just couldn't. They could not make the play when they needed to defensively. 
And of course, one of the things that went wrong for us and on something that we've documented again and again and again this season is that LSU coming into this week really had shown no semblance of a running game all year. But Ty Davis Price went off an LSU record 36 carries for 287 yards and three touchdowns. It was remarkable to see and something that LSU maybe has found as they go deeper into the season. Yeah, because up until that Kentucky game, they struggled to run the football. And they, they just could not establish that. And now it feels like they kind of found their dude. And now I will say, like, Florida typically has given up uh, some some running yards this year to, to a variety of teams. But, I mean, he still ran for nearly 300 yards. And you just can't take that away from the dude. Absolutely. Alan, where would you like to go next on the Pick and Rewind? Uh, how about we go to that, that crazy game down in Austin? Um, yeah, I, I mean, Texas uh, leads for the vast majority of the game, essentially uh, 52 or 53 of the 60 minutes, but Oklahoma State just kind of stayed in it. I thought Gundy was playing it far too safe for far too long, playing the field position game and, and that type of thing, but he trusted his defense, and it paid off big. They kept running the ball, even though it didn't work for a long time. And by the end of the game, they were able to run it down Texas' throat. And I didn't necessarily see it playing out exactly how it did, because I was worried when Texas got out to that start. And it it should have been over before that pick six made it instead of essentially 24 or at least 20 to three made it 17 to 10. And that's when that game swung and Oklahoma state was able to, to really just hang in there until they took control. Yeah, I'm exactly with you. Cause at that point, Texas was right on the verge of blowing the doors open and, you know, taking complete control of the game. It kind of felt like the game was teetering on being over at that point in the first half. And then yep. uh, that pick six really started changing the momentum. And, you know, I'll give a lot of credit to Oklahoma State's defense. You talked about it. They took a couple of shots early in the game, but they hung around. And, man, the stat line that I pulled from this one, Bijan Robinson, 21 carries, 135, two touchdowns. Now, that's a solid stat line for any running back in the country. But to me, all that says is this Oklahoma State defense contained him. And that's about all you can ask for because the dude is an absolute freak. We've talked about it yep. a bunch of times, and he's put up much better numbers than that a couple of times this year. So Oklahoma State's defense, to me, that's a really good job of containing Robinson. That is a legit defense. And if you'll remember, that's a defense that earlier this year gave up 20 points in the first half to a Boise State team on the road and didn't allow a single point the rest of the game, right? Like when this defense really sets, you know, sets their feet and kind of digs in, they they can be really, really difficult, which is a an interesting thing because the way Gundy's kind of built this team is that they're almost a more athletic version of a uh, of an Iowa State or a Kansas State. Um, really good defense uh, with with a slightly above average offense, depending on how their quarterback plays. Um, but that, that they've just been able to find a way, and now they're number eight in the country. 
Yeah, they absolutely shut out Texas in the second half as well. They did give up seven points, but it was dominant in the second half, 19-7 to in favor of the Cowboys. One other note to take from this one, DeMarvion Overshone, the Texas leading tackler, was knocked out of this game with a concussion. So that'll be just something to watch. I mean, he could be back, you know, a week down the road. It could be some time before he's back on the field, but he's a big-time player and something to watch uh, for Texas as uh, the season develops. That's right. That's, that's, a, that's a really good point. From one Big 12 matchup to a Big 12 winner against a non-conference opponent, Baylor winning 38-24 to over the weekend. Alan, I don't know that there's a ton to point out in this one. We were both on the Bears in this matchup with a relatively low value for both of us. But Baylor's offense really seems to be coming around. They put up over 530 yards of offense in this game. Uh, their running backs, Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner, combined for nearly 300 yards rushing. And when that happens, I think it opens the doors for Jerry Bohannon to look like a pretty solid quarterback. Because uh, if the if the running game is slowed down, I don't think he's at his best. Uh, but when the running game is really working well, I think Jerry Bohannon can play pretty good quarterback play. Agreed. This is a proficient offense. Give credit where credit's due. Dave Aranda has turned the ship around pretty quickly in the way that, in a similar way that Matt Rule did it. You know, it only took him really three years to resurrect the program, and Dave Aranda in his in his second full year is really taking advantage, getting to six and one, and I mean outgained BYU by 130 yards, had 11 more minutes of time of possession, and. Just in every statistical category, won the battle against what has been a pretty decent BYU team. Alan, from a, another matchup that was significant in our pick'em board this past week in the Pac-12, we saw Utah beat Arizona State in comeback fashion, 35-21. And sir, I have to give you a lot of credit. This is the first value pick that we are evaluating from last week. You called the win for the Utes, and man, the value picks for both of us were on fire last week. We killed yeah. everything that we put out there, but this was a big one for you as you took Utah in the win. Yeah, this one felt good to get right. I came in rising. Played well enough, even even though he turned the ball over twice. Obviously, they outscored Arizona State twenty-eight to nothing in the second half to to really solidify that win. Running away a little bit, um, Jaden Daniels and company weren't able to do enough offensively. Were outgained, even though they only had one turnover. Utah was just able to do enough. And at home, that's a pretty good team. And you can tell that this is a just a much, much better Utah team than they were at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it certainly is. And especially since Cameron Rising took over the quarterback in position. He threw for nearly 250 yards in this game. You mentioned a couple of those turnovers. Uh, but the, whatever adjustments Utah made at halftime, man, it just clicked. Because Arizona State looked like they had complete control of this game at halftime. And then it all went away first minute of the second half. Yeah, exactly. I mean, up 21-7, to seven, and then bam. And Kyle Whittingham is a really good coach. We've got to give the guy credit. He's Utah can be a really good program, and he's just consistently won a lot of games there, and they just always have a tough team. Let's bounce back into the Big 12. We were both on Iowa State beating Kansas State 33-20. to And, Alan, even that score, to me, looking back at this one, I don't think that score is very indicative of this game because Iowa State was up big, 20-7 to at the half, 27-7 to after the third quarter. This thing was under control by the Cyclones, and they were never really threatened by the Wildcats. Yeah, at one point in the fourth quarter, it was 30-13. to 
it was always in that kind of 17 point range. Iowa State is starting to to find their form that that they're going to need in order to to play some of the teams that they've got coming up that that are going to be big on their schedule. Brock Purdy is is not turning the ball over as much as he was earlier in the year, and they can always run the run the ball. Brees Hall is an, an absolute unit at tailback. He sure was. He went for 30 carries, 197 yards, a couple touchdowns, 6.6 yards a carry. Absolutely a beast and uh, was a big part of this Cyclone offense being able to put up points in this game. Alan, you mentioned this one earlier when we were talking about the recap. This is one that you flipped. I was on the right side. You ended up on the wrong side. NC State over Boston College, 33-7. to That, again, I would kind of point to, sure, 33-7, that's a big margin. But I think this game was played out a lot closer than this. I think, obviously, NC State the right side to be on. Uh, but to me, this was a much closer football game than the score indicated. Interesting. I didn't get to watch a minute of this game. Okay. Uh, so uh, I really don't don't know exactly how the game played out, other than just seeing that thirty three to seven, which and looking at it was extremely defeating. Um, honestly, it, it made me feel like a big old dummy and switching it <laughs> and questioning my gut. <laughs> um, but you know, looking statistically at it, NC State nearly out uh, outgained them by a hundred yards. BC turned it over twice. Uh, I mean, they they just miss BC. Really, just misses Philip Yurkovich, right? He was he was such a difference maker at the quarterback position, and it just stinks that he's out for the year. Yeah, Grissel is not the same quarterback that Jakovic is, and uh, it's it, it's tough on Boston College, man. But I think this game was competitive. This thing was seven seven in the second quarter, and there was a series of plays that really started turning things NC State's way, where Boston College was driving down, looking like they were potentially going to score. They had a receiver come open in the back of the end zone, wide open. Grossell throws it back. He hits him up high. The receiver's up, jumping for the ball, has both hands on it, and you have to credit an NC State defender who came up, timed it perfectly, and just punched the ball out. And so you go from a third down what should have been or was very close to being a touchdown and going up seven points for Boston College to now it's fourth down, they kick a field goal, and then college kickers, their kicker missed it. So all of a sudden, you go from what could have been 14-7 or at least 10-7 to just 7-7, and then NC State went down the field and kicked a field goal before the half to take the lead. And then in the second half, there was an early scoop and score that NC State got to score a touchdown, you know, free yardage right there, and they scored a safety in the second half as well. So defensively, NC State kind of got some things to go their way that to me, I think this really should have been more like a 10-point game, you know, rather than, you know, three three borderline four scores as it, as it ended up. Interesting. Well, I, that, that makes me feel a little bit less like a buffoon, but um, you know, I, I still should have stayed with the, the road favorite and uh, you know, two points is two points. I would have felt a lot better about my week had I gotten that one right. Surely you would have, but uh, I'll just say taking Boston College at a two, I don't think is that bad of a pick. They did have the couple turnovers, like you mentioned. They only went one for four on fourth down. They had that missed field goal in the first half. That could have been a big boost to them as well. Allen, another one that we need to touch on inside the Big Ten. This was a value pick for me. Purdue knocked off Iowa 24-7. to I told Man. people – you need to lower the value on Iowa. Alan, I'm going to try to not be offended because you didn't take the advice, sir, but I hope a number of people in our Pick'em group took the same advice to be able to boost their scores up a little bit. 
Yeah, I I did not take the advice, and I felt like a doofus looking out after. I mean, total, total domination. Now, I I ex- I actually still expected Iowa to win this game. I just thought it would be more like a 24-17 type of game where they get the win. I didn't see many paths to Iowa actually losing this game. I had actually flipped at some point um, that Florida game and the Iowa game because I'm like, I'm, I could see I could see a path where Florida loses because I knew LSU's offense was good. And but I did not see any way that that Purdue was going to actually win this game. Now, did I think that they were going to make everybody uncomfortable and feel like they had just eaten Taco Bell or crystals? Yes. But I did not expect in any way, shape or form that that I was going to end up losing, especially in blowout fashion. Petrus had four interceptions. My God, that's like one of us going out there and playing. Yeah, definitely. The the Iowa defense that's forced so many turnovers all year, this was kind of the role reversal for them, right? Because yeah. Purdue was the team that protected the ball. Aiden O'Connell was awesome. He threw for 375 and two touchdowns. David Bell is a beast. I talked about him last week on the podcast. 11 receptions, 240 yards, and a touchdown. He was absolutely dominant. Iowa had no answer for him all game. And, Alan, this was my philosophy on it. I said I wanted to drop Iowa in value simply because I know with their offense and how limited it is, no matter how good their defense is, I think all it takes is a team to come out with a good start, get a score or two on the board where they take the lead, and I was going to have a really hard time because so much pressure is going to be on that offense to dig them out, but they just lack so many playmakers offensively that I just don't think they're going to be able to do that often. We talked about it a week ago, how we thought they were kind of lucky in being able to come back against Penn State because Sean Clifford was knocked out of that game, uh, but this was a different scenario where Purdue protected the ball like I wanted them to. They got out to that early lead, and man, it was lights out from there. Yeah, it it was. I just suffocated them, beat them in, in many ways, like you mentioned, at their own game. And so, you know, this this was one I took a big L on. As soon as I saw kind of that score and the way that it unfolded, I looked over and told Lauren, man, Thomas absolutely nailed this one. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I mean, we both took the L, but like I told you, I intended very much so. I wanted to walk into the weekend having Iowa at as about as low a value as anybody else in the Pickham group. Because, uh, you know, that to me, that was a six. Because I thought if Iowa does win this game, which, you know, I thought they probably would win it. I still wanted the points, but I could envision a way that Purdue was going to win this game. And man, they took care of every single facet they needed to, even juggling quarterbacks throughout. I don't know how much of you watched of it, but they've played three different quarterbacks intentionally throughout this game. It wasn't injuries. And man, they mixed things up for the Iowa defense and it really worked in their favor. Yeah, it absolutely did. Alan, the final value pick that we were both on, Pittsburgh over Virginia Tech, 28-7. I don't think there's a lot to touch on with this one, man, because Pittsburgh was in control from the get-go. The only thing that didn't come out for them was you mentioned last week on the podcast that Pittsburgh had scored over 40 points in every previous game throughout the season. They were limited a little bit offensively, but there was never a question about who was going to win this game. Yeah, in many ways, it was complete domination. Nearly doubled them in yards. 
doubled them in first downs pretty much, almost had two-thirds of the time of possession. Virginia Tech is extremely limited offensively. Braxton Burmeister went 11 of 32. <laughs> like That's so embarrassingly inconsistent. They were able to, to do enough. This was not their best game by any stretch, but they get to five and one. And I think this may be the most dangerous team in the ACC, which uh, is, is not saying a lot. But it, it is saying something, at least. Yeah, it's saying a lot for Pittsburgh. It's not saying a lot for the ACC and the conference as a whole, because <laughs> that thing is a mess, man. Yep, that's exactly right. Oh, man. One other takeaway that I have for this one is, man, Virginia Tech actually played Kenny Pickett pretty well. They limited him to only 5.5 yards per attempt, and that meant that Pittsburgh had to find some other semblance of offense somewhere. Now, they haven't run the ball well this year, but with it, Israel Abanaconda stepped up and ran for 140 yards on 21 carries. I don't think he's some difference maker at the running back position, but this said something to me that Pittsburgh was able to find a little bit of a rushing attack when Pickett was limited for the first time, really, I think, all season long. Agreed. He still didn't turn the ball over, which is the sign of a a really good quarterback, but they just were content running the ball and had success with it. He had 140 yards on the ground, which is really successful. Kenny Pickett now on the season, 21 touchdowns versus just that one interception, just like we documented last week on the podcast. He has been killing it. So, so impressive. Allen, a dominant performance from the Georgia Bulldogs, 30-13 to 13 over Kentucky. Probably not a lot to say on this one. It was kind of competitive there for the first half, but Kentucky's just limited offensively when they go up against a defensive beast like the Bulldogs. Exactly. I mean, it is what it is, right? The, the Bulldogs are next level defensively. Kentucky just doesn't have the athletes for this. I think Kentucky has played way above their heads so far. I'd expect more like an eight and four type year from them. I don't see them getting to, you know, that 10 win category or anything like that. And Georgia really is, I, I think, is as good as everything we could say about them. They truly are that good. Uh, the only thing is, you know, they're just not as dynamic uh, maybe as they could be if they had all their weapons and quarterbacks clicking. So we'll see how that progresses as the year closes. No doubt. Alan, another one for the pick and rewind. Cincinnati over UCF 56-21. to 21. I don't know what to say about this one other than, man, Cincinnati is rolling right now. An impressive performance. Of course, going up against a Dylan Gabriel-less. UCF is certainly a help. But Jerome Ford was really good in this game. He ran for nearly 200 yards, 9.5 yards of carry, and four touchdowns from him. And as a team, Cincinnati ran for 336 at eight yards per carry. It was just a dominant performance from Cincinnati. Nothing really to expect other than that, but as certainly a good uh, outcome for the Bearcats as they try to keep their name in playoff contention. I think at this point with Iowa going down, the Bearcats, if they do not lose, absolutely should be in the playoff. This should be the year that they have a shot. None of the other leagues should have enough to put them out, in my opinion. And I I can also hear all of our Auburn War Eagle brethren saying, we told you so, UCF. 
Mal's on sucks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm going to give him a pass while Dylan Gabriel's out because that offense has been bad ever since he left, but they were pretty good early in the season. So to me right now, I just don't think that's the same team without Dylan Gabriel. I agree with you, but you're this far in. Like, you should have something, some type of semblance of an offense. 56-21 is really not even as, like, it was even further of, a game than than that right like this was just ugly and they've lost games that they shouldn't have lost that had no business losing I I just don't think Malzahn's all that good well he's not great but uh I think if Dylan Gabriel on the field I think that'd be a lot more competitive we'll see we'll see Alan anything else you want to cover on the pick and rewind I don't think so I do want to say as as a Tennessee fan it really is the most Tennessee thing ever that on the year that uh, the year of our Lord 2021, we had to freaking play Kenny Pickett in a year where he's got 21 touchdowns and one interception and Matt Corral. So like the two of the greatest Heisman favorites and they get to face them within the first six games. It's like, give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) It is a strange draw. And man, it is wild that we're sitting here talking at this point in the season. Matt Corral's not that big of a surprise that we're talking about him as a Heisman candidate. You know, I don't know that a lot of people would have thrown his name out preseason, but to me, it's not that big of a surprise. But Kenny Pickett has come out of nowhere. And you're right, for Tennessee to have faced both of them in this season, you know, a team from the West in Ole Miss that they don't face every year and a team from Pittsburgh from the ACC that they certainly don't play every year. Uh, It is remarkable they've had both on their schedule this year. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I, it never ceases to amaze me. Of course, each and every week here on the podcast during the regular season, we have a $25 Visa gift card up for grabs. That is if you can get a perfect weekly score of 55 points going 10-0 and in your picks. And, of course, you've got to win that tiebreaker for the total score for the game of the week selected by ESPN. No winner again this past week, but we'll see what can happen in week eight. And, of course, you can help us out by following the show on Facebook and Twitter at The Blackout Pod. And, of course, Alan, one of the biggest things you can do for the show is rate and review The Blackout on Apple Podcasts. Coming up next, Alan and I are going to be prepping ourselves for the first week of the second half of the season. We've got week eight coming up, and we have another pick and pod coming your way with value picks. Alan Denton, thank you so much for your time, and let's hope that the value picks play just as well this coming week as they did in week seven. Agreed, my man. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.